Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Alexi Lawless. Before we get to Alexi, I have a few announcements to make. And one, first and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. Check out uh, stories that I've written, some stories that the guests have written. You can see photos of our guests. You can see links to all their social media. You can see links to our social media. And by that, I mean, of course... Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page. There's links to Stitcher Radio and to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe. And if you are on those platforms, I do ask you, as always, please give us a good rating. That helps people find the show and boosts our presence there. So that's cool. I'd appreciate it if you did that. Hey, maybe you think you'd be good for the show. Maybe you know somebody's good for the show. Maybe you want to write me and say a few nice things or ask me for travel advice. Go ahead. You can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That is TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Alexi Lawless is our guest today, and I geeked out a little bit. I'll be a little bit honest. I fanboyed out when he agreed to be on the show. Alexi's been a fixture on my TV for the last 20 years as a player, a a professional soccer player for the men's national team, the U.S. men's national team, and for uh, an MLS, and then also as a broadcaster. He's been to numerous World Cups all around the world as a player and as a broadcaster. He was an executive in Major League Soccer for a number of years. And on top of all that, he's a musician and a really good one, too. The music you'll hear before and after his interview is uh, off his latest album. It's a song called Hello Sunshine, and it's great. So he's a man of many talents. And music is what allowed me to find him and reach him because I got his info through my friend Pat Francis, host of the Rock Solid podcast, of which I am a recurring co-host for the last, oh God, four, five, six years. It's a great show if you haven't heard it. Lots of fun. But Alexi, being a musician and a music fan, has been a guest a few times on Rock Solid. So Pat was nice enough to uh, give me his email. And Alexi was nice enough to come to my humble abode to talk about travel. Because you can imagine, as a player, as a broadcaster, as a musician, he's been all over the world. He's seen a lot of things, and I knew he'd have some great travel tales, which he does. I try not to get too soccer-heavy and specific, because I know many of you uh, don't know the game or you don't follow it. But really, I couldn't help myself in the end. I did, <laughs> I did nerd out a little bit and ask him some questions. But hey, it's not every day I get a celebrity pro athlete here. So I enjoyed meeting him. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I think you will too. So here's my chat with Alexi Lawless. Alexi Lalas, thank you for coming. And I know this is a uh, a big uh, way for you to come and just show up here with no uh, for free. 
Oh yeah. I mean, wait, what? <laughs> oh, ooh, this is awkward. Uh, well, you've gone you know, to the Rock Solid podcast, and that's have, all the way up in the it's valley. It's amazing. It's uh, this incestuous relationship, and everyone's sleeping with everyone. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. So, and so I have heard you on that. I've heard uh, this podcast now, so I have an idea of what uh, what it's about. It's uh, it's right up my alley, being the. Uh, lifelong and and worldwide traveler that I am. Yeah, and I you know people might think I don't want to get this too soccer heavy and sports right. heavy because I know a lot of people don't follow as much as I do or and of course sure. Uh, for people who don't know Alexi is a uh, former uh, professional soccer player who from Michigan originally. Yep, I grew up right outside of Detroit and and Athens, Greece. My my dad was Greek so we went back and forth but then for the most part high school and everything I right. was Right. The most uh, non-Greek looking Greek we've ever exactly, seen. Exactly, exactly. You look at me 6 foot 3 red <laughs> hair gets uh, sunburned inside and you say that guy's got to be greek the ginger greek <laughs> well this is what happens when you you meld a uh, a greek who came over for school uh with a girl from jersey so <laughs> that's right you know i talk about soccer a little bit because I've, I've seen games around the world sure but knowing the game and being as american who they assume doesn't know anything about it mm-hmm. knowing the the major uh, soccer leagues around the world and the big players it's the greatest Icebreaker oh, yeah. anywhere around the world. It's the closest thing I tell people to a national language or religion. And like when you were, I'm a few years older than you, but when we were growing up, I'm from Chicago, so we couldn't see right. any uh, foreign. I played soccer through high school, and I never saw a game on television. Yeah. I don't think. When was it. your like I op- I guess going to Greece you probably got exposed to it earlier. Yeah, I mean I I had that uh, which is now uh, unfortunately we we lament the fact that we don't have the the stickball uh you know sandlot type of mentality when it comes to sport. I was very fortunate that I got that in Athens. I was very young and my mom just kicked me out of the house and I went down to and she she said go figure it out. And once again I was this <laughs> American kid I didn't speak Greek the way I looked and so you know the the whole stereotypical thing where I sit on the sideline and then eventually some kid doesn't show up and they say, well, what are we going to do now? All right, let's get the American in, but they're not going to let me play on the field. They put me in goal first, sure. and then I start let to, him oh, use his hands exactly. I start start <laughs> to learn a few words in Greek, mostly swear words and stuff. And finally, another person doesn't show up. I put him out on the field, and and the rest is history. But there was that sandlot existence without coaches or parents or anything like that that I started. And then I came back to uh, the states and you know, grew up in the suburbs of Detroit, and I did everything that a lot of kids and people that are listening right now might have done, as you mentioned, with youth, uh, youth you know, youth teams and travel teams and orange peels. And juice boxes at halftime <laughs> yeah. and all that all that growing up being involved in soccer but I didn't have soccer players on my wall it was it was musicians and it was hockey players growing up in Detroit yeah my uh, nephew is 17 and he lives outside of Orlando and he's a Chelsea fan yep now that's unheard of <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't know anything about it so my first exposure I was in 90 it was 98 during the 98 World Cup sure. I know that's a that's a bad one for you. No, it's you. all right. It was okay. better to have been there and sucked <laughs> right. than never to have been there at all. <laughs> for people who don't know, we had a rough outing there. The U.S. Uh, we lost three, right? Well, it wasn't oh, good. It was, uh, if, if I, it was back you in the 1900s. On I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was in Italy with people, and I just saw how the, the country shut down during the games, and yeah. you just kind of got wrapped up in the passion. After a while, with cable television and then the internet, I could follow along, and I can start a conversation in any pub around... The world, or any taxi driver, or anything like that, and I've seen matches in uh, England, in Turkey, in in Rio, in uh, Buenos Aires. So, tell me your first exposure, because when we were growing up, you got out of college, you went to Rutgers, yep. right? And so, in the early '90s, there was no professional league yeah. in America. So, what did you do? 
So, you know, I looked at, at the world as my workplace. Um, but I also, as you said, you know, I, I didn't grow up dreaming. And you know, my, my mom was a writer and my dad was a professor. I grew up in a real uh, academic type of household. And to say that they had aspirations and v- dreams and visions of their firstborn being a professional <laughs> soccer player, let alone a professional athlete of anything, was, would not be the case. They were incredibly supportive. But as you said, I was growing up in the 70s and 80s in the U.S. where it was a Wild West type of existence if you wanted to do that actually for a living. And uh, I went to Rutgers University and things went well and one thing led to another. And I, and I always looked at my future from a soccer perspective, if that was something that I was going to be able to do, as I was going to have to go overseas at some point. And, and ultimately I did, but I had the benefit of playing in the World Cup. And you mentioned something, these threads that bind us around the world. It could be religion. It's not always uh, you know, culture. It's not always language. And I think, but a lot of times it is soccer. And I live the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual in 1994 when the uh, United States hosted the World Cup. And it changed my life forever and gave me incredible opportunities on and off the field that I, I, I milked for all it was worth <laughs> yeah. and had a blast burning it at both ends for a number of years. But uh, for people who don't know, the typical, when you play for your country, mm-hmm. it's almost like, I guess you would compare it to, say, an all-star team that people play professionally for their clubs around the world, but sure. then they're drawn back and play for their country. But did you even have a club in the early 90s? I didn't. I, I, I went backwards. Usually what happens in a traditional situation is you play with your club, you do well with your club, the national team sees you, picks you up, and then that's how you, you matriculate up. I, when I stepped on the field in 1994 with the U.S. team, because of the fact that it, there just wasn't professional soccer to be had, I had never played for a club. So I did it completely backwards ass, and it worked out okay, but it was very un, uh, untraditional. And then the opportunities from a club perspective showed themselves after the World Cup. How do you stay in shape? If, so you're so what, ha- what ended up happening was, as a national team, we trained for two straight years traveling around the world. And so that was... Pretty so much it was your my club. club. It was my club. Every day I was training with the national team that would then represent the uh, the uh, the U.S. in 1994. But you never knew whether you were going to make it. For all of us, there were people coming in and out, and you were good, you were bad. You got you know next <laughs> next round, and as long as you, it was the ultimate survival, it was soccer survival, and you got you were able to stay there till the end. And that prize at the end was playing in the World Cup. Well, talk about f- those first few trips overseas, like say in the oh, early God. 90s. Uh, you know, U.S. not really respected sure. by a lot of countries around the world. What was the uh, craziest situation you ever walked into? So I, I've seen the world in a very unique and different way. And a lot of times it's at the end of, uh, you know, machine guns and German <laughs> shepherds and moats and people throwing coins and batteries and uh, screws and bags of urine and uh, police escorts all over the place. And so you you see it in a, in a very different, as I said, and unique, unique way. Um, but you see it. And look, I, I didn't grow up in a favela. Uh, I didn't grow up in a slum. I didn't grow up in a barrio or anything like that. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. I grew up with you know, you know, Slurpees and MTV and Bubble Yum. And, <laughs> but I played with and against uh, so many players that did come out of that. And I was exposed to a, a, you know, parts of the world that I never would have been exposed to ha- had it not been for soccer. And so you, you tend to, well, not you tend, you definitely appreciate what you have. And you have a much better perspective driving through these places, seeing these places, walking around these places when you're allowed to walk around these <laughs> right. places. Um, and just understanding also from a soccer perspective 
how differently at times they look at their their soccer. Now things have changed a whole lot in the U.S. since then, but you know, for me, you know, being able to go to Cuba before you could go to Cuba because of soccer, being able to go down uh, to different places, and as I said, I grew up traveling a, a lot because of my ancestry and and, and my father being from Greece, but. Being able to do it in that capacity was was incredible to see and feel and live that culture that is soccer and that intensity that is soccer. What kind of what was Cuba like in the early nineties when you so, went there? So we went down for the what would be called the Pan Am Games many many years ago, and I'll never forget being in Cuba, flying from uh, Havana to Santiago, and we got in this. It had to have been a a, a Russian plane, right? Oh, and, I took one of those Aeroflot. Oh uh, my god, the, it was it, it had was, ashtrays in the armrest. It arm was crazy. So we get up, and I swear to God, we were maybe a couple thousand feet the entire <laughs> way over this this uh, you know this incredible green lush foliage. I'm wondering if the bottom of the plane is going to hit any. Other you're waving to people there. at the bottom. And we were with we were with a wrestling team, and I'll never forget it was so hot that as soon as the plane took up uh, took off, you know the uh, the condensation. So it is a, a form of air conditioning. It's, it's like the come, steam and, and the smoke. steam. I did the, the same thing. They happened all to me. took off their shirts. So we're in this plane, and everybody's got their shirts. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> going from uh, Havana to Santiago, I was a long way from uh, the suburbs of Detroit. Yeah, what was the reception to Americans when you went there? You know, it's always there's a there's always a form of curiosity because they want to yeah. see what you're about, both from a soccer perspective, and you know, certainly traveling in Asia the, with with who you are as an American, and then you have red hair and all that. Kind Kind of stuff and go, you know, going to China uh, and going to different places like that where they they want to they want to literally touch you at yeah, times yeah. Uh, because of the soccer, but also because of the way that you look and some of the places that you're going don't get a lot of exposure. And so I think there was a real curiosity. There still is a real curiosity, especially with you know w- with w- where the world is today relative to how they see the United States. And that was always a, a responsibility that I that I think we all felt that. You know, while we're in a competitive environment, we are also representing a country that a lot of people don't necessarily like, and and that's <laughs> yeah. but that's that's okay because there was also a pride. So when I'm in a when I'm in a stadium, I've been in a stadium where they have burned American flags. I've been at stadiums where they've thrown American flags and and full sixty thousand people cheering anti-American slogans and all that kind of stuff. There is a there is a almost a punk ethos that comes out where bring it on go ahead I'll, but spit on me I, I, I don't care uh, and and you're ultimately representing your country that uh, that you know I feel is the greatest country in the world did you get hit with anything I mean oh yeah yeah but once again it's you know it's like uh, you know. Johnny Rotten or whatever over there. Right, the, right, the more, right. more gobs you get on it, the better <laughs> off it is and the better show it is. So I, I, I did feel a, a real uh, bring it on. I, I, I always have considered myself a performer, um, and that doesn't mean that I can't be competitive, uh, but you put on a costume, you go out there in front of people, you've trained before, and whether it's a stage or a, or, or a field or anything like that, you're performing for people, and I want to put on a show, and I want that, I want that reaction. And sometimes that reaction is, is negative, but the worst thing you want, that, that you can you do as a performer is have no reaction at all. Well, having traveled a bit as a kid, I mean, there, you must have had teammates who hadn't really, and then did they react in a different way? They, were they use yeah, it's as open to it as you were. It's different. I think you you develop a an understanding that within a team situation, that everybody has a, a obviously different backgrounds, but they also they approach things differently, and so. The way I saw things, you can't impose that on anybody else. But what I can do is have them respect what I'm about, and, and me expect what, uh, respect what they're about. And ultimately, it's you know, it's kind of like it's la cosa nostra. It's 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 our thing. So <laughs> we can make fun of each other, and we can you know bust each other's balls, stuff right. like that. But when it comes from the outside, then there is this this mentality, this team mentality that we all protect each other in one way or another. Was there ever an instant when you thought, hey, we may not get out of here? 
Like sure, I mean, we've had, you know, there's times where we've had to go to the middle of the field until the crowd dissipates because they, they, you know, there's a lot of times the gauntlets and stuff like that. There's times where you're in locker rooms and you just hear the the shaking that's going on. And like I said, we're all we're always protected, and we're also there's always a recognition when an American team comes to a foreign country from whatever American presence that we have in an understanding that, okay, <laughs> not, on, not on our uh, watch is anything going to happen to you. Right. So. Well, that was a big moment in 98. You guys played Iran, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, did you feel the... I mean, that must have been a huge undertones. Yeah, of, yeah. Of and, it's, and soccer is politics, and politics is soccer, <laughs> and sometimes we don't recognize it or respect it as much in the, in the U.S., but the, the scores and the stories and the narratives that churn behind the scenes uh, are front-page news and inevitably infect the culture and, and lifestyle. So when you're playing Iran in 1998, it's more than a game. And you know when you're when you're traveling to the Middle East, when you're traveling uh, to different places, that as I said, from a political standpoint, um, they they may have problems with you, and it may have a real negative image over there. That manifests in the soccer field, in the stadium, and how they view you. And it's not as if I'm walking down the street and people are trying to kill me, but. Uh, there is a recognition that you are representative of your country, the good and the bad, and the perceived good and bad from all yeah. those countries that you're visiting. But of all the ones in '98, that one stung the most. Yeah, that right? was yeah, that was hard to lose to Iran uh, from a from a just a pure competitive standpoint. Yeah. But I mean, you were so, favored too. I, mean, I know you're favored. I know. It's yeah. Not like you were it playing happens, Germany. You know, we gave them a gift. We, you know, they needed a little bit right there. It was you know international oh, relations. How generous. Exactly. That was so Kissinger nice would you. be proud. <laughs> well, I mean, the roughest one. I tell people of the ones I saw. Like I, I saw. Boca Juniors match in two of them in Buenos oh, Aires. Yeah. And I was at the end of the stadium where the visitors section was above us. Sure. And all game long, wow. some kind of liquid was coming down. It's crazy. And I didn't know what it was, but I didn't want to know. It's crazy. But, but we shared a stairwell going down, and the cops made us stay in our seats until they were all out of theirs. Sure. So we didn't mix. Um, but still, I tell people there was still kind of like a, a fun vibe, people singing through the whole it's, thing. It's tribal, and there's a, there's a community aspect. I mean, look, they, they especially with, with, with hooliganism and, and some of the violence that the soccer, unfortunately, has had over the years, they've really tried to, and have done a really good job of curtailing it, and they are buttoned down now with cameras everywhere and if you're a, especially over in Europe they, they escort supporters right from if you're coming in by train or bus or whatever it ends up being they escort them all the way there and as you said they will pen them off and make sure that they're secure and their job is to get them in and out of the city without yeah. any without any problems happening and there's certainly you know things because once again it's it's not just soccer it's religion it's right. it, it involves politics Your and neighborhood and class and all, and, oh, exactly. that's incredible but uh, the one that didn't have a fun vibe was I went to uh, Besiktas match oh, in uh, Istanbul, oh, and that yeah. was one where they made us take, you know, empty our pockets, sure. take the coins out, take the people were bringing in batteries, like you said, and all stuff that like that. And even though they won, it still wasn't a fun vibe. Sure, sure. I wanted to get out of there, and I don't know if that's uh, is something in the character of the people, or it meant a little something. And these were sober, right? <laughs> well, know? some it's sometimes like... it's they use soccer and. and Politicians use soccer. There, oh, yeah. there's a huge history of, of, of politicians using soccer teams, using soccer fans to you know to promote whatever they are doing, and because there's a power to it, and there is something that goes on even well outside the soccer field uh, that has a power culturally and on a continual basis. So they'd be dumb not to access it. But yeah. you know they're accessing it in different ways and pushing it in different directions. Well, the dark side always comes up in terms of you know I did hear you know whatever whether it's racial. 
or there, there is a far right wing element. I was sure. pitching a TV show about fandom, you know, and all this, and in kind of a travel aspect to it. But then a part of me said, I, I don't want to give these guys publicity. Right. You know, I don't want to reward that this kind of because there is a real, you know, there's a skinhead faction sure. in a lot of places, sure. and, and there was a big worry about that in Russia. Oh yeah, I mean in the oh, World man. Cup. I went, so I was in Russia last summer, and it, so I've never been. Have you ever been? So no. I had never been to Russia before. And really? Like, like I said, you know, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, so my whole context for Russia was Yakov Red Smirnov. Dawn, Red Dawn. <laughs> honestly, Yakov Smirnov, Red Dawn. Of course, uh, you know, they were types, the enemy. These types of things, right? Uh, Drago, Fire Fox, Drago, Drago, sure. all, all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, war games. Yeah. You know, all that. Kind I of must stuff. break you. Exactly, and so. I had this impression of what it was, and I was really excited to go there and see if it would you know, live up to or, or be completely different. And what ended up happening was I spent uh, six weeks in, in Moscow, and look, Putin had it on lockdown. There wasn't anything that was going to happen because he knew it was an advertisement to the world. I was working yeah. the World Cup for Fox and the Men's World Cup for Fox, and, and it was... I don't need to go back anytime soon. Okay, I've done that. I was saying it's, it's on my list, it's, but it's not it's, high on my list. It's very strange. Look, St. Petersburg is beautiful, and Moscow is incredibly cosmopolitan and all that kind of stuff, but I couldn't help but have this feeling that there was this undercurrent of lawlessness and Wild West, that when the last plane left, it would return yeah, to right. that. <laughs> they, they made a point of being so proud and, and, and got, you know, bless them all, but of telling me that there were no guns allowed during the World Cup in Moscow, which seems Thanks. like a good idea, okay, which, yeah. is, which is great. And then, then when you leave, then what happens? <laughs> right, right. So, that well, was strange. I, from what I've known, and we've talked about it with other people, on because I've never been, and there's this idea that, uh, at least with Russian travelers around the world, that other like tour guides and people have told me, if they can get away with it, rules mean nothing. No. They will tell you, yes, absolutely. Boarding groups, yeah. Don't touch, <laughs> don't touch, yeah. <laughs> don't touch the coral. It's right. living, and it's just, and they'll nod. You can tell them in Russian, and and as soon as your back is turned, they're like, nah, there's plenty of coral, and they'll knock it, flicking cigarettes in the water, little things like. But if they can get away with it. It, what are they going to do? Arrest me? So I, I was at least fortunate enough to be in Moscow the whole time. We corrupt. had other guys that were traveling around and going to different places, and you know some what? of the stories and you know what what was what. So you didn't go to Sochi? Well, that's the Winter Olympics. No, no, no. But you know some of the hotels that they went to were very yeah. interesting, and in what what entertainment was there, and all. It was just <laughs> it was just like it was an incredible experience. So yeah. and then traveling because my kids and my and my wife came over and to, to to have them in an airport experience and not like an international going back like a local and regional airport experience in Russia. That's something that you will never forget. <laughs> was uh, in terms of like well another like rusty old planes or just, just everything? Yeah, just getting uh, ordered just around. Boarding, or- and uh, it, you know the 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 sense of always with a smile, by the way. always with a, oh yeah, oh yeah, warmest. But it just it just doesn't exist over there. And and look, the way we the way we act as Americans yeah. is just very very different. And it's not better or worse. That's just the way that it goes over right. there. I, people that I've known that live there, they said the one thing they can't get used to, and it's a very American thing to smile at strangers. Oh yeah, the whole but you never thing. you never smile at anybody. They warned there. us You're actually insane, going over. Just because they're not smiling doesn't mean they don't get the joke. It right. doesn't mean they don't like you. 
okay? <laughs> and it's true. And I know we're, we're stereotyping a little bit yeah. out there. So if you're listening out there and you're, and you're Russian, uh, you know, there's 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 a reason why these yeah. stereotypes exist. And we, we have the same ones. We're and fatter. I, I we're fatter than the rest of the world. And people we were it. cool. And, my, you know, the security was was incredible and, and got to know all of my, because I had bodyguards and everything all over the place. Yeah. And it was, it was fun. It was a good time. I did hear, though, that like Moscow and St. Petersburg are different than the rest of very Russia. Very different. So yes. they're very international cities. Yes, very, yeah. But you, you get anything. If you really want to know the real Russia, you got to get out of those get places. Out there. And it's expensive, I heard. It's very expensive, yeah. But Did they jack know, it up for more for course. the World Cup? Yeah, of course. Sure. You know, look, they're Russian. They're not anti-business. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been to so many World Cups as a player and mm-hmm. as a broadcaster and everything else. Was there one that, uh, some are definitely run better than others. Sure. Was there one you look back on and go, and that one... They really got it right, and others were going. That was chaos. I mean, uh, were there some that were run? Yeah. What would so, you say you think was the so, worst run? I, I didn't was, think South Africa was going to pull Africa it off. Was a little, I was, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I was there was, about three months beforehand, and they, had, like, the stadium in Cape yeah, Town wasn't nearly finished, or yeah. it was and it's, wild. And it's a problem now because you know they, they, they all pulled it off. Stuff, but, they pulled it off, but as is the case with a lot of Olympics and World Cups, you're left with this infrastructure that you. Had positioned where it was going to, you know, be a legacy type of thing, and then they become, uh, you know, ancient relics and stuff like that. And that's a problem from a business perspective. But that's not just a problem specific to South Africa. No, Brazil, the Olympics. Nobody know. wants the Olympics exactly. anymore. Nobody They're losing it. money. You know, so South Africa was really cool because, you know, I didn't think I would get a chance to go to South Africa, uh, and and then I did. It's you know such a huge country, and, and to see different places. Um, and and Johannesburg was really really interesting. Uh, and 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 then the way that they. They want, and I say they, but wherever it goes, this, this is they recognize it's an advertisement, and they they want to be, they want to put their best foot forward, and they want to help you, and they want to re- because you, they know you're taking that message back back to people, and so you know Brazil was really really cool because of the history that Brazil has with soccer, um, but the but it's always interesting in a World Cup, especially a World Cup that's big, uh, the, the the vast difference between you know for example seeing a game in the World Cup in uh, Rio was completely different than experiencing it in Manaus, you yeah. know, in the middle of the jungle and the Amazon and all that kind of stuff. So it's really, it, it's, it's that, and that's the fun part, but it's also the weird part. For example, the next World Cup, next men's World Cup is going to be in Qatar, yeah, um, which is the size I'm of Connecticut. Way against this. You're I against mean, it just in principle? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, you hear about the laborers they're doing. They're already people yeah, dying. It, it's basically you're nitpicking. Come on, is that nit? Yeah, people die. <laughs> it's almost like slave labor that well, they're building. Okay. I mean, if you're going to you go deep say, like that, yeah, detailed that, like that, but if come you can on, get FIFA past is that. the most corrupt uh, oh, next man. to the Olympic Committee. It's oh yeah, look, uh, it is. I mean, they're hosing because people. of the amount of money and the power that it wields in in the world, and to have a World Cup in a place like Qatar. Are they going to move uh, it to the winter? Because it'll be yeah, 120 it's be degrees. It's going to be in November, and it'll be this at all. It'll be very, very different. My wife is the same; has the same reaction that you have, and, yeah. and I said, "Listen, if you can get past all that stuff, and that's a big if. I know like the human rights abuse, right, all that. I mean, you know, let's sure. again, we're nitpicking. But yeah. Let's just say that you're, you know, you're you're you're, you're having an aversion to it because of the uh, yeah. human rights abuses, <laughs> alleged, alleged, alleged. Out there, if you're listening, okay. alleged human rights yeah. abuses, or you know, the history and how they have treated different different people. Uh, let's see, you can get past that. They're going to spend more money than 
anybody has ever spent on this to make sure that this is something that's going to be awesome. You're going to see multiple games in a day because, like I said, it's the size of Connecticut, so you'll be able to go to multiple different games. Uh, you'll be you'll have plenty to drink. I know everyone's concerned is whether you've been able to drink there. Yeah, what are the Germans going to do? Don't worry. You're going to be fine. You're going to be able to drink there. And I, that's a place that I, that I have never been. So Me either. It's going to be, you know, it'll be interesting, but there'll be a lot of, once again, those stories off the field are going to be as important because politics and society and culture and, and the way you're viewed and perception is really going to come into play. Well, I heard a problem Rio had and and Brazil, their problems were more infrastructure based, sure. like the trains and how do you get people to these matches and lack of hotel rooms. Yeah. Did you see any of that in Rio? I mean, I yeah, heard they I were mean, turning. Rio, some we were okay. I mean, look, I I, 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 once again, I see things at times in a in a in a whitewashed sort of manner because yeah. I'm usually in the You're big, staying in the big nice cities. Place. Yeah, I'm staying in nice places, so it's it's very very different than the the true authentic experience or. As I said before, the experience once the circus leaves town, and then the reality of it sets in. So I, I had a good time in in uh, Rio. Um, you know, the Women's World Cup coming up this summer in France is going to be it's going to be fun uh, to see what that's all about and to be in Paris. And there were a lot more people that said, "Yeah, I'll come visit you in in uh, Paris this summer," than that wanted to take me up last summer in <laughs> yeah. Moscow. I'm sure. The um, but when you see. That's the other thing. When you think about all the money that's spent, and when they decided, like I think the Cape Town Stadium that I toured right before, uh, no one's using it. I know. It's it's, it's, it's a, a pity. And it's like Athens, and talk about Athens oh during God. their Olympics, uh, they built a baseball stadium. It's crazy. And well, it's like weeds going through exactly. it. Exactly. It's a boondog. I mean, we, we, we understand that. I think I was reading something the other day where the only one that really, really had the effect, the attendant effect or the promoted effect was uh, when Beijing hosted the Olympics because the infrastructure continued to be used and that whole thing that they talk about, the advertisement of what... In this case, it would be a, a new China is all about. Yeah. That really permeated. But for the most part, you know, I mean, you see what Sarajevo, and, and it could be, you know, legitimate reasons like uh, war. war and that kind of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, or it's just a, an infrastructure that was built that nobody wants to use once that circus leaves town. Manaus, what are they going to do with this thing? I don't know. I mean, uh, people didn't want to go there in the first place. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> no. like, it's a thousand degrees. Yeah. It's a, you you know, can't even get there. You can't drive there. No, so it's, it's in the middle of the jungle. And uh, my friend's ex-wife was from Manaus. And, and I think their only local club is like a third division. Yeah, yeah. They and can't now, fill this stadium. Now, now I think it's, you know, it's got buses there. It's a bus depot or something Ugh. like that. So it's a it's a pity. But you know, once again, I get to thankfully be able you know able to go to these different places and experience the joys and and the pains <laughs> yeah. of of traveling. And well, you you pay, you eventually did play professionally in Italy. Yeah, right? I played in Italy for uh, for a, a few team years. that I hadn't heard of until I researched. Yeah, it's a city right outside of Venice called Padova, and uh, it's a it's kind of like a college city. And they had just come up into the first division. And so after that '94 World Cup, I went over there for a few you years. You got some buzz. It was great. I had a wonderful time. Back then, Italy was the place to go. Most money most prestige and, and more than you know. Spain or England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point. It was before the European community opened up, it was before the uh the soccer community opened up too with a bunch right. of change of rules and stuff like that. It was before the exodus up to uh up to England. And it was great. I mean on and off the field I learned so much and obviously living in that culture, not just not just the Italian culture, but the Italian Italian culture for soccer, uh it it was uh it was something else. What was the toughest adjustment uh, on the field, say? 
on the field, I was playing for a very small team, which meant that we got our ass kicked a lot. And so, you know, adjusting to each and every week, uh, knowing that we were playing against teams that were better for us and having to figure out how to how to compete off the you had field. To play like was, Milan and yeah, exactly, just- <laughs> exactly. And we were this little team that just just hoped to stay in the first division. Yeah. That was the, that was the goal, and we accomplished that goal. And then off the field, it's just the schedule. You know, when when you need a pharmacy and the pharmacy's not open or, or <laughs> yeah. whatever and you know that kind of stuff and and getting on that schedule and recognizing that you're a guest in this country and they're certainly not going to change <laughs> a, a century of history for you so you're talking like 94 95 yeah right? 94 95 96 when did I was the euro there. start was that 99 98 uh, when, uh, when did what the euro the european community uh i don't know when that when that changed so you're still doing lira yeah yeah oh yeah i was definitely doing lira i was being paid in dollars but uh, okay oh yeah, thankfully direct deposit <laughs> thank god for direct deposit in dollars so. what was the uh was the training that much different was the no, was the game it wasn't they i mean they talk about how italy thinks about the game strategically a little bit differently but it was it was language as it always is when you go to a new place. For me, I, the very first day I was there, they put me with the only guy that spoke any English, and I'll never forget being in uh, in the Alps. We were training in the Alps for preseason, and I sat down with Marco Franceschetti, who was the oh, only like player it. who spoke any English, and we started conjugating verbs. And I knew that I needed to know as much as I possibly could. And you know, the Italians all they want all they want to see is that you try. They don't care if you mess up, unlike others. Yeah, uh, there's other cultures that won't, you know, unless mm-hmm. you get everything right, and God forbid you mess up a conjugation. We're not, we're or not like naming that. people. France, France, France. France, France, France. I will see you all this summer. It's going to be wonderful when <laughs> I try to speak. Oh God, I'm so bad at French. <laughs> French. Uh, but so, so I learned uh, Italian very, very quickly, and it was a mixture of Italian and Spanish because I already had some Spanish yes, going Italian. on. Italian, yeah, didn't sure. Care. They didn't care, and it was. But I, I wanted to know what they were saying about me, uh, and and what I were they saying? Uh, you know, this, this guy's a little strange. <laughs> the way he looks, the way he plays. There was a curiosity once again about this American guy. How did the, you know, the press is such a big thing. How did the local papers take to you? Did they have a nickname for you? It's a Buffalo. Uh, They called me (laughs) Buffalo Bill. There was all this Buffalo Bill type of stuff. Cowboy stuff. Yeah, cowboy. And, you know, it's it's a real fishbowl. So everywhere you go, it's not just the 90 minutes that you're on the field. That gets digested and, and, and mulled over constantly. But then everything that you do, you know, you're at this restaurant, you're at this bar, you're you know, <laughs> seen here doing whatever it ends up being. And to live in that type of soccer culture, coming from an American soccer culture where obviously soccer isn't king, um, it was a real change. But the food makes up for and everything. the food was wonderful. <laughs> the food was wonderful. And, and now, are you, are you of the opinion that that food is better tasting from other places. For example, uh, I ha- we have this ar- uh, we travel so much, so we ha- end up having these evergreen arguments in every place that we yeah. go. So with the crew that I travel with, we're always arguing when they say, "Oh, this is the best tasting insert food that I've ever had," and I always argue that. It's not really. It's just that you think it is because you've been told. Either you're at the best place and everybody's told you that it is, or yeah. you're in a uh, geographically you're in a place that you know the water for pizza, all that sure. kind of stuff. I think it's bullshit. It's I, a, think, I think really? that I do. I think it's a little both. I no, mean, but I, don't. I mean, uh, which is why taste is a, tests are so important. Yeah, you could do a blind one, but I mean, also your taste buds are trained for uh, you know we change recipes here in America for sure. for our ingredients or whatever we have, like the pizza here. We've America. Americanized it, and everybody will go. We well, go to Napoli. You have the greatest pizza, and you were like, "Well, this is just kind of plain with the red sauce on it." And and it but seemed, it's because you're it in Napoli. Plain to us. Like I went, I went and had, um, like you know, you have kebabs all over mm-hmm. Europe, and I had them. I would just eat them late at night all the all the time. And I think, oh, I'm finally getting to uh, 
when I got to Turkey, I was like, they're going to be the greatest. <laughs> Istanbul's going to, it's the motherland of the kebab. Right. And I liked it better in Germany, probably because my taste buds got used to all the stuff they put on it but in you, England and wherever right. else, you know. But you have a favorite food you, that you like? Well, uh, Thai and Italian, usually. Thai and Italian. I mean, the, those are two of my favorite Italian countries. Italian food in Italy, okay? Well, there is something to be said, I think, for the freshness of ingredients. No, stop. You don't, you don't please, think so? No. If you take Come this on. great plate in Italy, okay, I am, I am convinced that the reason why you think it's good is because you're sitting in Italy. Now, that's not to take anything I've away. I've bad food. Of know. course we've had bad food, but if I take that good plate, whatever it is, gnocchi, whatever it ends up being, some wonderful, you know, uh, some sort of pasta, this is the best pasta I've ever had. <laughs> now, you're sitting in Italy, it's probably, it's a beautiful place, it's a wonderful, yeah. you know, looking woman over here, and the music's playing, and it's, and it's all seeping into your system, and that's why that plate of food tastes so much. If I take that plate of food, and we go... <laughs> go over to Kansas City and I put that down in front of you in Kansas City you're going to say eh, it's okay whatever <laughs> but it's the exact same plate of food <laughs> anyway we have this argument constantly it's a uh, it's, it's like I said so what does your wife like to eat that you like is she more of a foodie than you apparently? no we don't we, yeah there's not a lot of cooking going on in our oh, house so nice. uh, I would I would like to I mean I can cook some stuff but nothing it's i don't get the enjoyment i am so jealous of people that love to cook because i see the you gotta joy. like the eating you gotta like the eating part yeah, but, of it but, but i think we're, we romanticize it too do we okay so there you go what but I, also there's a care i love to it. cook i love the whole dance of it and that kind of stuff eh, eh. there is a love of creating something and watching people enjoy what you made yeah i i love people that will create stuff for me to oh, enjoy <laughs> exactly so did you you didn't have offers to play in Greece or did you uh, not want to play there? I didn't. I mean, Italy was the place. It wasn't. I mean, it was Greece a lesser league at the time. So, yeah, exactly. So, and, still, and then I came back to the U.S. and you know, once again, MLS was starting. As much as I as I enjoy uh, traveling, uh, there's there is no greater feeling uh, than landing at JFK or LAX <laughs> or something like that after a trip because. Um, you 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 arrive with the perspective and the joy of coming home, and so the the responsibility too of coming back to the U.S. to to play in what was then a, a startup league in Major League Soccer that was awesome, and that I I one of the proudest moments of my life was leaving Italy and come not just because I'm leaving Italy, but coming what I was coming back to this this new project and stuff like that. So and I still get that feeling uh, when I'm traveling when I land back at LAX or, or JFK, and that's that's just who I am. Did you know were you married back? While you were playing, no. or was this a newer? No, uh, I met my wife when I was very young, when I was eleven years old. But she wanted, she wanted nothing to do with oh, me for wow. about twenty years. So. <laughs> you know what helps what? make you more attractive? Being a professional athlete. That, 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 that a boy. That helps. Well, she got me on the tail end. She always tells me. She always Yeah, she always tells me. God, I got you on the tail end of all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably best. Uh, that is. I don't know if it would have lasted through uh, Italy. Exactly. We've, we've, we've changed over. We've changed over the years. So, so uh, you have a trip coming up. You said in well, France is. Yep, France is summer. I'm going and to Nashville a, tomorrow. Um, you know, I. What do, you, do you have a preferred airline? Do you? Uh, um, I'm gold for life on American, just okay. for. Uh, a million miles of lifetime. Yeah, I'm a Delta or guy. I'm a, you're a Delta guy. Yeah. How did that happen? Through and through. Um, Unless you're based out well, of Atlanta. Up, as you, well, happen? no. So as you know, there's this uh, there's this there's the cycle. There's this cycle of planes, right? So Delta was the first ones that started, uh, you know, rejuvenating their fleet and everything like that. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 American took a, a whole lot longer to do it, and United without their, you know, for for a while without the Wi-Fi was ridiculous, <laughs> and and all. And then uh, obviously a lot of it is, uh, you know, based on where where you're flying and stuff like that. But I just I just love Delta. I mean, and and. <laughs> I won't go with anybody else right now. Did you ever have that wanderlust 
uh, travel thing, or was it always more like soccer based or business based, or did you ever like I'm going to take off on my own and wa- I really want to see this part of the world? I all I I love traveling. Uh, I love moving and being in motion. Um, and look, I I my family knows this. My my wife knows it, and. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the, the difference in traveling with your family, I'm sure you and other guests have discussed this <laughs> yeah. in the past, it's, it's just ridiculous and it's incredibly frustrating, so much so that my wife at times when we are traveling as a family has often said, you are more used to me traveling alone <laughs> than, than when you're with it. And, uh, and I know, I get it, I, I, I understand that, but I, I have always felt the need to, to move and to travel and that I have fallen into professions, whether it's being a player uh, or now working in television that enables me to travel, travel um, is a huge part of the attraction. How many kids do you have now? I have two. I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. Oh, wow. And so... You would, think, you would think they would be much better at uh, traveling, but it's all relative to like the single person travel type of, of, yeah. of template, and which is very, very different than traveling as a family. It's hard just to, when you're with other people, I have to remind oh, myself God. to, uh, oh, I got to wait for you. I can't just exactly. blast through this crowd exactly. at my normal speed. It's, it's nuts. And you see them when you're traveling and, and you know who you get behind and all the different you know, stereotypes. So the ki- of- what did the kids think of Russia? They were, they, you know, once again, <laughs> you know, as I, as I was saying, I grew up thinking about Russia, and we're still thinking about right. Russia. To them, discussing, it's just another country. Uh, well, probably. no, it's still, it's still on everybody's lips, Russia, every, every day. Well, and now so, in the last couple of years. Exactly. So, so they had, once again, this image of what Russia was. And, you know, they had a good time. Bears got, in the streets. They actually got to go to games. My wife has been to more World Cup games than I actually have been in because I'm always <laughs> in the studio working it. So right, right, right. They come over, they go to games, they have a great time and all that. And I end up uh, putting on makeup and screaming and yelling on television so uh, so how much of it uh, is can be pleasure and then do they you get much time at, at these uh, things? you get a little bit and you know so they'll come over to france and uh i think we want to take them uh, to normandy at some point uh while we're over there uh and do that whole thing and i think we're going to go to italy and i've been back to italy in a long time and and bring them and uh we'll, we'll add on time at the end of the world cup because usually it's about a six-week tour for uh, a world cup if you're broadcasting a world cup and they'll come over right at the end and we'll be able to kind of have a few days off here or there i don't we don't have a lot of days off and they'll, they'll go off and do stuff on their own too uh, they, do they play sports they play soccer uh in the in that they play ayso they can take or leave soccer i really could care less whether they play or not it really doesn't matter to me um i'm, I'm much more proud when I see them do something creative and uh, or do well in school or dance or, or that kind of stuff. Now, do you get to tour as a musician at all, or do you? Is this mostly in like just in your studio? You done local gigs, yeah, I do, yeah, that kind of stuff. And I used to tour. I mean, I, I toured uh, over in Europe. We went through Europe, and I used to play all over the states and do all that kind of stuff. But I just don't do. It. I don't do it a whole lot more. I still put out music, but I just don't uh, do the actual tour. Where did you thing. tour overseas? Uh, I went. I, I opened. You're for big in Japan. Uh, no, Hootie and the Bowfish. Uh, you did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we uh, we toured with Hootie uh, in Europe uh, back in what was it ninety seven ninety eight. Oh, so they're yeah. like huge. Yeah, they were. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. And you know, I had known them through through soccer and sports and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they were nice enough to take us out. I had, I had put out an album, and they were nice enough to take us out. And we went. Wow, we were in where we were at Copenhagen. Uh, went through England. Went through uh, Germany, uh, the Netherlands. So we were all over the place, and it was great. They were they were really really. Uh, Kind to be to take us out there. And we had how, a blast. How big of a, a shed were you playing? It there? depends. Uh, thousands, so five thousand. I would That's think. That's gotta be you know? awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Do you get a bigger buzz off that than than you did playing the soccer? You know, as I mentioned, it's it's kind of the same uh, <laughs> yeah. in that you're you're out there. People are 
paying to, to, to see a performance, uh, you put on your stage clothes or you're putting on your uniform yeah. you've, you've rehearsed or you're trained before and you go out there and sometimes it goes off well sometimes it doesn't <laughs> as you know oh uh, I've, yeah <laughs> did you ever get booed off uh i've gotten yeah i've gotten booed or, or stuff thrown <laughs> both as a soccer player and a musician yeah okay yeah <laughs> plenty, plenty more booze as a which as had a more gobbing player. yeah there's a lot more spit involved evidently in, in soccer so. any good any good hootie so give me one good hootie story any any good? Uh, I remember story being in a bar in uh, in Amsterdam until like five o'clock in the morning. The start of most good stories. The start of my, yeah, with everybody from my band and everybody from uh, from Hootie, and it was this metal bar, this eighties metal bar. So it was like I was locking the door and I wasn't letting anybody oh, right. out, and it was just <laughs> every eighties metal song that you could possibly imagine through the entire night, and. You know whether it was Darius getting up there and singing uh, uh, "Warrant" or whatever it ended up being, it was just awesome to have everybody together singing this music that I that I know and love in uh, in a foreign land and having a good time. It was a hell of a night. I can't remember the name of the place, but it was awesome. Is there a place in the world that you? Uh, I hate to use the term "bucket list," but I'm mm. going to use it anyway. I mean, that you've always wanted to see and you haven't been. Uh, let's see. Uh, I have never been to. Uh, I've been to Asia in that I've been to Japan and China, um, but I haven't been to, you know, like, where's my mom? My mom's going to Vietnam or something like that. Or uh, oh, I loved Vietnam. I've yeah, been there a couple cool? times. Yeah. So I've never been to uh, in, in, been to Vietnam. So I'd like to do that. I've been to Korea and that. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to try that. Um, let's see. I've been to Australia and, and New Zealand, so down that neck of the woods. And, and you know, other than the uh, the World Cup, I haven't spent a lot of time uh, down in uh, in Africa, so I'd like to do some of that. Um, if you, when you're looking back now, I mean, is there a place where you would be okay if you never went back to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Russia thing, it was, <laughs> yeah, okay, I did, I did my time in Russia. There's not a lot of, I mean, look, once again, you go to a lot of these, you know, Central American places and, and places that just don't have as much as, uh, as the United States and you are graphically reminded of how fortunate you are. And, you say, you know, the people are wonderful and they're incredibly accommodating, but this is not some place that you would want to live. And, and I know I'm coming at it from an incredibly fortunate and privileged type of position, um, but, you know, that's just the reality of the reaction uh, that you have. And then, you know, and, 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 you know, then you go to different places that you never thought you'd be. I mean, I, you know, once again, I remember being in Reykjavik. Ever been in Reykjavik? Iceland? No, Iceland, no. It's crazy. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful place. It's really expensive now because everybody kind of wants everybody's to go. Everybody's going. Yeah, everybody's going. But Iceland's I went, been I went found years out. years and years ago. I remember walking the streets of Reykjavik at 4 a.m. because it was the worst uh, jet lag that I have ever had in my life. And I was playing a game there, so it was 4 a.m. on the day of the game that I was going to have to play. We ended up doing okay. But it was gorgeous. Just incredibly, you know, scenic type of country, and the people were wonderful. And it's such a small, uh, you know, in, in, enclosed type of environment, and obviously small environment. That was really, really interesting to do something like that. Did you ever play in that... Uh in Bolivia, where it's like uh, like ten thousand feet above sea Ecuador. level, or something? I played in Ecuador, which uh, Quito. I played in Quito, which is which is incredibly uh, elevated. We've never been to uh, um, Bolivia. Uh, Santiago, Chile, was awesome. Ever been to Santiago? Uh, no, I haven't. I've been oh, to my God. That is that was a really really cool place. Because that, that was a cool place because I didn't think it was going to be a cool place, and it was really really interesting. You know, Brazil. I, I mentioned Argentina. Mm -hmm. uh, those type, Uruguay. I've been to Uruguay. <laughs> these types of places and. 
you know, look, you, you get there and you, you find a way to have fun. And, and, you know, I know a lot of it was based on soccer, but you get to, you get to walk around and meet people and see what it's all about. And, um, and it's fun. Once again, it gives you a great perspective. Okay. You were a defender. Mm-hmm. I had to, and we're going to get uh, soccer specific, specific now, okay. but, uh, the best player you ever played against, the guy you just couldn't guard. So I, I am, uh, for those of you, obviously, all of you that can't see me, uh, I am six foot three. Uh, I am not, shall we say... Fast? Uh, fast. There you go. That's a, much, that's a good word. Let's yeah. just get right to you. you know, <laughs> yeah, so, not known as a speed demon. Right, exactly. So I, I, I have lumbered at different times in order to, uh, to, to do my job. So anybody smaller uh, with much uh, more agility... The ability to shift their weight, low center of gravity type of thing. Uh, for those of you who don't know soccer, how about a Barry Sanders reference? That yeah. type of player. Like a Maradona type That guy. would cause me problems. And so a guy like Gianfranco Zola, who was this diminutive, incredible, balanced type of forward, would always mess me up because... You couldn't see him. I just couldn't... I couldn't react in time physically to deal <laughs> with the stuff that he was doing. The big guys, if we're just going to you know, go one-on-one, I have no problem with that. The, the physical part of it, that's, that's not a problem. It's when these, these smaller guys... So a guy like Gianfranco Zola, a guy like Romario, who used to play for Brazil, these guys that, once again, shift their weight so quickly uh, and so effortlessly that they leave you hanging. And I'm not the only one that's gotten beaten <laughs> by them, thankfully. Who was the best uh, American player you played with? There was a guy named Tab Ramos, uh, who mm-hmm. once again was a very small, he was a man out of time in that he was so much better than us. We, we did not deserve him. <laughs> I wish he had been born 10, 15 years later, because I think he would have been given much more of, of the due that I think he deserves, but he, he wasn't, and um, we almost, he almost hurt us because he was playing on such a higher level than any of us that we couldn't, we couldn't keep up. Uh, and so that's the, the biggest compliment that I can pay to uh, Tab. And he's still involved in coaching right now. He's coaching a lot of our youth. So uh, I'm glad that at least there's another generation that can, that, that can learn from his mind. Well, now we've got a whole new generation that's mm-hmm. playing overseas, a lot in, in Germany and other places. Um, when you see the, the, uh, the options they have, not only to play... Sure. Here domestically in a strong league, the MLS is getting you know it's surviving. Yep. Because you know we grew up in the NASL. Sure. And I watched it demise. I exactly. went to a Chicago Sting game. I know. And that was done by the I think eighty one, eighty two. Oh yeah, it's our our culture is littered with uh, defunct <laughs> leagues and <laughs> yeah. teams. Um, where do you see the program going now? Because we didn't make the World Cup, and you, you Lord knows you took a lot of heat sure. for. You had an opinion on that or two? I have an opinion on a lot of things. Yeah, look, I'm still bullish about the future of soccer in America. Uh, You mentioned some of the players uh, that are having opportunities overseas. I think there's a recognition that there is an incredible wealth of talent here. You know, cultivating it is is where we get into, not a problem, but just differences of opinion on how to ultimately do it. But I think overseas people recognize that there's a lot of talent over here, uh, and there is. And the fact that you know, we were talking about growing up and, and not having soccer. And the fact that there's a generation right now that has no idea about the difficulties and challenges that exist over there. And I don't care if they do, because to me, that signifies progress, because I, w- I don't want them to know about it. I-, I want them to live at a time where, whether it's, whether it's Major League Soccer, whether it's the infrastructure, training facilities, the stadiums that we have, whether it's the opportunities overseas, players going to Germany, players going to England, all of those opportunities, that's the world I want them to know and love and live in. I don't need them to live in the, the previous world because that wasn't a fun world to live in if you were a soccer player necessarily. What about that opinion of um, the problem is, and it's a problem we're finding in baseball mm-hmm. as well, that it becomes basically a, a white suburban sport 
where the best players get the best coaching. Sure. You got to join these traveling teams, sure. and poor families can't afford to do it. Are we still running into that problem? Yeah, and- yeah. I mean, but but that's that is something that's never going to change. In that everybody's going to, if if I could wave my soccer wand and anybody and everybody that wanted to play for free could play for free, uh, I would do it. Okay, but guess what? But Evil, they do that around the world, though. They no, play for free no, no, in, there are, in alleys. And not all, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, look, the, the, we the have street, to play free the on our own. type of soccer, that's a whole different thing. But that, that train left the station a while ago, yeah, okay? Yeah. Nowadays in the United States, we, we don't do that. For, and there's a million different reasons. Or pick reasons. up baseball games. Exactly. You we see, don't do that. You don't walk outside. To, Your mom doesn't kick you outside the door and say, yeah. be back for dinner at 6 o'clock. That just doesn't, that doesn't happen anymore. And so we can, you know, we can lament and say, oh... This should exist again, but you can't recreate something like that. That that has changed, so that's that's not going to happen. But the things we can do is recognize that, from a soccer perspective, making sure that young boys and girls that are growing up have it in their in their wheelhouse, that it's coming to them. And and there's a whole generation now that still looks at soccer in a different way than than my generation did. That's a good thing. So so. We love to kick ourselves for what we haven't done, but we also have to pat ourselves on the back for, for how far we've come. Still got a long way to go. Well, our biggest success story was probably, the, I guess, the women's team. Sure, sure. People I mean, ask who, me all the time, when are we going to win I a mean, World Cup? We've won, we won a lot of World yeah, Cups. Yeah, so, so it's just all the women. Yep. But now we, we find that the, a lot of the rest of the world's catching up as well. They're, they're not going to have an easy time. They're not. But we, France, had a, we had a right? 20, 30-year head start uh, against the rest of the world, and, and some of it was, you know, uh, mandated in terms of the laws that we had. Title and, IX and all yeah, that. Yeah, and, and we... We care about women's sports. We put the resources and the time and the energy. As a culture, we care, I think, about women's sports much more and give it much more uh, validity than many other cultures around there. And, and we are going to reap the benefits. But everybody else is starting to care more and putting more resources in. And so they're going to make up the, the spate that they can make it up really quickly. And then they're going to challenge us, which is a good thing. We want to be challenged. Yeah, it's, usually the, the Scandinavian teams are always tough. Sure. Norwegian, Norway, like Sweden, yeah. I know we're always... But England's coming on strong England's, right now. France Australia, is good, right? France is, I think France is the biggest challenge Didn't this summer. Didn't they just summer. kick our ass? Like, yeah, we, we lost to them, but it's, you know, we, we can lose <laughs> to them. But I, I think they are, they are flying right now because they have talent, they have experience, they're a host nation. Can you imagine? Uh, last summer, for those that don't know, the, uh, France won the Men's World Cup. They could win back-to-back World Cups, winning the Men's World Cup last summer in Russia and then winning at home with the Women's World Cup. Uh, but our and they wim- should have won the Euros. Like yeah, three, I mean... It, they lost the final in Paris. They have, they have a wealth of talent. It's amazing. It's amazing how many players were left off of the French men's team uh, that could have been on it, and they still won the World Cup. Well, when you think about the politics and the changing of countries, you played probably Yugoslavia, and then that broke into like three different sure, nations. Sure, it's crazy. You've seen different. Did you ever play the USSR? Yeah, we played you the did USSR years and years ago. We played them, and then we played Russia. So yeah. just just Russia, and then Belarus, and yeah, then, I mean, yeah, the Ukraine, and then all of the different, uh, you know, the, the breakups and stuff. And you know, that's that's going to happen. And a lot of countries and cultures sometimes define themselves by their team not just the winning and losing but how the team plays the type of players that they that they have and and it's it's amazing to see the style of play that a, that a team has is reflective of the culture that they are and i love that about soccer and so people ask me well what's our style 
Well, our style as Americans is always going to reflect our culture, and we have the most diverse, what I think makes us the greatest country in the world is our incredible diversity, but it also makes it incredibly difficult because you have to get all of these diverse ideas of what the game is together for 11 human beings on the field, and it's incredibly difficult because everybody thinks about the game. If I ask you what beautiful soccer is, you're going to have a different idea than I go ask your neighbor what the beautiful soccer is, and that's, that's okay, but that's the reality and the challenge of putting together a team. Well, I tell people about this, like oddly enough, one of the most diverse, tolerant uh, countries in the world now is Germany. Mm-hmm. And that's reflected in their team. Yep. And and when I hear about all these, like, say, uh, like racial incidents or, and, and chanting mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, it's usually in the, you can look at their national teams and it's usually the most homogenous countries. I mean, whether it's Russia, in Spain, yeah. Italy... It's the same, but yeah, you know, people France, feel threatened very... when the when the norm is challenged, and yeah. when your when your when your culture changes, and you know, with with the incredible ability to travel. I mean, ultimately, it comes back to travel. The ability, incredible ability <laughs> to for people to move to different countries and different cultures, and immigration and migration and all that kind of stuff. That's going to ref, be reflected in everything that you do, including your soccer team. And you you have to be able to adapt because it's not going to change it. If anything, it's only going to, <laughs> right. uh, it's only going to increase. What do you think of this policy, like getting back to uh, one of the stories I remember from 98 and the U.S. team, it was all of a sudden like two months before the, the World Cup, we signed some guy from France right. Right. who naturalized, he maybe had a relative or a, a parent that was an American, and all of a sudden, hey, you're a, you're the, he's never lived in the U.S. Never. Sure. Uh, so now we get a little bit of that, the Kids, a lot of them from Germany. They sure. had like a serviceman father. Sure. They've grew exactly. up. Um, how much of that do you? Does that matter? Or uh, it, it only this matters. Guy had a grandfather who was care, an American. I don't care. First off, or vice versa, they're, they're all Americans. Okay, sure. undeniably. Okay, they have the, they have the right to play for the U.S. Uh, and that's that's never even been a, a question. So I don't care if you've never even set foot in the United States. I don't care if you don't speak English. What I care about is in that moment when you put on that jersey, that, that stars and stripes, that red, white, and blue jersey that's representative not just of you and your team and your sport, but of your country, and you put your hand over your heart and you sing that national anthem, I care that in that moment, regardless of what the score is later on in the game, that there is no place that you would rather be and there is no other country that you would rather represent. Now, I recognize that there is a mercenary aspect of of soccer because of the things that we've just talked about, because of the you know the incredible uh, uh, you know uh, dual nationals and migration and immigration, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I, and I know maybe I'm just an old grumpy guy, but I think <laughs> that at its core, it has to be about the pride that one feels representing your country. I, look, I, I didn't I didn't serve my country in a military capacity, and in no way am I equating. Being no. a soccer player, or you know, representing your country in a soccer—it's totally it's, the same, Alexa. No. <laughs> totally the same. But but you heard is, it here first. This is though. the only time that I've ever had that moment where there I am representing my country in a, in a way that's bigger than me, and I think that there that. I hope we don't ever lose that is what is what I'm saying. And so whoever it ends up being, regardless of your background, in that moment, and I can't judge it. I can't tell you from the outside whether you're feeling it or not. I just hope that those 11 players that are standing there with all the incredible diverse background that they bring in terms of their upbringing and their culture and all that kind of stuff, that each and every one of them is feeling some sort of connection and some sort of thread through their hearts that this is the country that they want to represent. So technically, back in 1994... Through your father, you could have played for Greece. Yep, absolutely. Would you have if nope. they had approached you? No. But if I had, it would have been in a mercenary capacity because 
first and foremost, I wanted to represent the United States, okay? And it doesn't mean that I, that I don't love and respect my Greek heritage, and I don't go back there. My father still lives in Athens. We still, you know... I, oh, he still I, lives I, there. Yeah, yeah, he's still, he's still there, and I was there last summer. So, but I wanted to represent the United States. And if Greece had come calling, it would have been because I didn't see a chance of representing the U.S. And so this was the next best well, thing. Well, that's usually why they do it. I mean, that's exactly you... it. But I would be a mercenary. It wouldn't be because I had this, this deep-seated, yeah, 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 rooted yeah. Uh, uh, desire to represent But there's Greece. a place for being a mercenary, too. I mean, for sure. players who want to do it. Sure, and and they not can everybody be, can play for Brazil. They can but be if they, successful. If like a, they can be successful and all that kind of stuff. But you know, and I know I'm I'm romanticizing it a little bit, but I almost feel like I want you to say, if I can't play for that team, then I don't want to play for anybody else, even if I have the opportunity to. But still, from a business aspect, it would have behooved you to sure. Exactly. So I get it. I, I completely understand. And they must it. have been pretty short on defenders at that time. To, uh, they were scraping the bottle and barrel for to even allow me to even come into camp. <laughs> American kid. You can kick a ball. Yeah, you got a passport. Tall. Come on he's in. He's pretty tall. Yeah. He's, he's got a Greek name. Why? Why not? Um, <laughs> so where do you see? We'll wrap it up so you can. I know you got to get going, but uh, where do you see like uh, us as a country going forward in terms of? Uh, the U.S. men's team, mm-hmm. because we didn't make the last World right. Cup, and we still have to. We got a ways to go, but there seems to be a crop of young, really exciting right. dudes going. Yeah, that's that's why I'm bullish about the future and a new coach and a new coach uh, who the I guy think you is played really for good. Greg with. Greg Berhalter. I, yeah, I, I I remember traveling to Uruguay with Greg Berhalter. <laughs> so it all gets back to travel, and 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 he's traveled the world since then, and and really got a great education. And I, I I got I have a lot of respect for what he's doing, and I think he's going to be successful. But more importantly, it comes back to opportunity. So if if I was a young buck uh, looking <laughs> at the national team right now, I'd say, hey, there's an opportunity there because I don't think I have ever experienced a time where we have been more down and dark about not just our men's national team for not qualifying for the World Cup, but just soccer in general. Oh, it's all, the system's broken, we suck, we don't know what we're doing, all that kind of stuff. And it was all, it all permeated out of this this incredible failure of not making the World Cup. And it was a failure. Don't let anybody tell you differently. <laughs> but within that, I see, I see an opportunity for this young group to take ownership and to say, you know what, not on my watch. This is not happening again. And, and let's be honest, they make they qualify for the next World Cup. They've already done better than the last <laughs> team. So it's a pretty low bar right now. But I would be saying I can be looked at as the you know part of the resurrection. And to a certain extent, we can be the saviors. We can bring us back to what we once were. And that's that's a cool opportunity. If they if they recognize it and they take it. And I think they have the skill to be able to do it. I don't know yet if they have the personality and character to say, "Yeah, damn right, I'm taking this and I'm going to use it." And and there is a, there's an element of, um, you know, people always say uh, use arrogance as a pejorative, and I, I I see if you're able to have a beautiful arrogance about you and you're able to harness it, that it can be incredibly powerful as a fuel. And if this group, this young group, takes and harnesses, and it could be swagger, arrogance, whatever you want to call it, and you know, comes to fruition four years from now in a World Cup appearance, uh, they could really do well for themselves and ultimately for the country. Um, where do you see, I don't know, if, if you look back on on all, all the places you've been, and, and I, I know this isn't a political sure. thing, but um, the last couple of years traveling around, especially around Europe with our allies, sure. we've been taking a little more heat mm-hmm. uh, for, for what's happening sure. in the country. Do you sense it when you travel now? Sure. Are you seeing a change? It's It's not... I don't see necessarily a change. I've always been on my guard in that 
I, 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 there's always going to be people that don't like. Yeah, us. there's always a recognition when you have an empire yeah. that's going to happen. And some of it is it, some of it is you know legitimate because we may have done something to yeah. them uh, either directly or indirectly. Some of it is obviously jealousy, and that's that's human nature. I I, I completely get that. And so, you know, I, I think having a um, a pride that never goes away, and that not that you should store your pride or anything like that, but a recognition that once again, as soon as you leave our country, you are a guest of whatever country that you are going, and you want to leave the best possible impression that you possibly can. And I always thought about that, no matter where I'm going, is that I want to leave a good impression, not just for myself, but of my country and, and of Americans, because we need to do that. And if everybody is constantly doing that, then that impression and that perception, it's not going to change completely, um, but we, we can help it and we can, be, um, we can be the conduit. We can be that person and ultimately that thing that helps to, t- to kind of change it. But, you know, um, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Well, now we're going to lightning round. Okay, okay. Your worst flight experience other than the Cuban uh, flight that you talked about. Let's see. Well, we've all had the uh, and the horrible the, the touch and go and the yeah, touch okay, and go yeah. off the uh, off the tarmac, and everybody turns around <laughs> and goes, "Well, that's not right. We're supposed to be landing." Yeah. <laughs> and then you know the captain gets on into that incredibly casual we're try this and cool. Again. Yeah, spin you out. Know, don't worry about. It. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna come back around and try this again. And then you say, "Is he dumping fuel?" What's mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've all we've all had that one. Uh, you know the incredible turbulence, and oftentimes it's um, you know like the like the thirty seven thousand turbulence that just comes out of nowhere is ridiculous okay and which is why they tell you to keep your seatbelt <laughs> fastened but then the ones you can expect with uh, you know all and it always happens not always but a lot of times happens over florida i remember going into orlando once <laughs> and the entire plane was just going nuts because we were going up and down and up and down and we had a, we had a uh, a finnish assistant coach and i'll never forget looking over to him and he did not move his face didn't change and it, it, he, and and everybody people were throwing up and people were freaking out and it was before cell phones or anything. So nobody's are cool calling customers. They're cool like customers. That. So he, he was he, he was incredible. So you know all those types of things <laughs> that you have and you know nowadays it's it, it's do you have some crazy person that's screaming and yelling and then all the phones come out and stuff like that and you gotta be you gotta be careful now because everybody's got a phone everybody's got a camera you might be in the right you make well everybody yeah. thinks they're in the right but you actually might be in the right but you gotta be you gotta be careful now with what you do and say on a plane speaking of that are you are you glad you're not playing now in this era of social media and all that stuff or think, do you think it would have been a cool thing I think I'd, I would adapt I would I would figure it out but certainly I wouldn't be doing that. Yeah, there are many nights you <laughs> would glad yeah, not. Look, if, if if our entire past had been subject for you know tweets and pictures and cameras <laughs> then a lot of us would you know would would, would be probably in trouble a lot of people would be in trouble uh, more so than uh, than just telling the story uh, telling the stories of it but I, I people ask me all the time well about players what if the player played then if you're a good player i think you adapt i think you you figure it out if you're a good player in a previous generation you'd be a good player today and you would adapt to the new things on and off the field that exists but you knew the importance of image back then i mean yeah. you you had your hair a certain way I, you had a I look looked about a, you i and, looked i i knew the important you know so i i grew up 
you know, following, as I said, music much more than sports. And so I looked at the way, especially in the 80s, the way that, um, that bands branded themselves and, the, you know, the colors and the fonts and all the different stuff and the, and the and stage wear and what, how, they, how they appeared off stage, all that kind of stuff. And so I patterned it after that. And so there was a real, I, it was manufactured. And when, pe- when you say that, sometimes people cringe and say, oh, but just because it, it, it was a recognition and a respect and it was manufactured in terms of how I, how I looked and how I acted, it didn't mean that it wasn't genuine and authentic. And it sure as hell didn't mean that I wasn't competitive. And so you got to bring it, whether it's on stage <laughs> or on the field, you got to bring it. Otherwise, you're just a clown uh, that looks a certain way. But I knew the impact that it would have and the visuals uh, of, uh, and the costume and the optics of going out there in how you looked and how you dressed in the way that you said things. Okay, now the craziest thing you ever ate overseas. You ever, oh, never dog. did the insects or anything it's like dog. You did it's uh, dog. in China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, no, Korea, sorry, in Korea. Uh, but did you know it, it or did no, they tell you afterwards? I, I, and my, my wife is, you know, she doesn't hate me, but she hates me for doing that. Oh. Um, yeah, I. What did it taste like? I have never. Chicken, you know. Okay. <laughs> It was, but I said if I'm going to do it, and I actually was with a uh, a legendary South Korean uh, player who, at the time, I was playing with at the Galaxy, and we went for a trip back to Korea, and I, I went to him and I said, look. Um, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Take me to the best possible place. Right. And it was it was great. And honestly, if if I didn't know what it was, uh, there's no way that I would have been able to tell. And mm-hmm. so that's it. And I know people are cringing, and, and you know uh, people are writing letters right now to it. But uh, it's, <laughs> but it happens it's out there. there. It's, it's, yeah, it happened. It's out there. And um, you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not looking to do it again. And I have a dog. And okay. Like that, Bob, my fourteen-year-old. Bob, uh, what a great. Yeah, Letterman had a dog named Bob. That's yeah. what he, oh, really? he used to do video things. My dog Bob, and he put a camera on him, and that was yeah. Like a, Bob's uh, fourteen years old, 14. Uh, Yorkshire Terrier, Aww. five pounds of fury. Um, <laughs> he's uh, he's deaf now, and he and he's lost a lot of teeth, but he still has a lot of fight in him. Bob, and, and you know he he definitely looked at me askant uh, when, <laughs> when, I, when I arrived back home, and and my wife had I think had a talk with him about what had happened, and so. Well, after the 98, I started following teams, and so I, I follow the English League mm-hmm, you know, sure. pretty religiously, but I could pick any team. You know, people say, well, what's your, what's your club? But if you don't have any personal history, you can pretty much pick whatever you want. And so, And I wasn't going to pick one of the big ones. That's too easy. Okay. And uh, being a Chicago Cubs fan, I, I need some pain. Right. You know, it's, exactly. it hurts so good. And yeah. so I like those mid-level teams that every year you think, this is it. This is it. And, and uh, they rip your heart out. So I first liked Newcastle because Alan Shearer was the guy okay, there right. at the time. Alan Shearer and scored two goals on me once at Wembley. Uh, oh, my God. A little crafty guy. Cra- <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he just crushed me and the team. Uh, right. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so, and and then it was like, like, like teams like Everton and things like that, where it's just like, this is it. And this then, it. nope. Uh, but the final, what, what turned it for me was that year that Spurs, uh, they were like, one game away, the last game of the season, they had to make, I think, the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Going to be their biggest finish ever. And they go up to, I think it was Liverpool. Are you a Spurs fan? Well, here's <laughs> the night before their biggest game of the year, like half the team gets food poisoning. Right. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can't even write that. I was like, that's it. I got to like that's these guys team. now. That's, that's the worst oh, thing I've ever heard. God. Did you did you ever get like food poisoning or anything like so that overseas? Uh, Isn't see, yeah. it? It's oh, just God. like that's a team that'll break your heart every yeah. year. I got I got I I'm oh, a masochist. Okay, These are my guys now. Good for you. Well, you're you're just 
never quite there. It's you're like there, ooh, but you're we're never there, quite right? But there's there. going to be that one year, and when there's, it happens, yeah, I don't know if there's going to uh, be that one year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could we'll be. see. We'll, we'll see. We gotta, you're moving into a new stadium, so maybe yeah. you know the promise of a new uh, of a new ground and all that. But kind again, of stuff. again, about using new stadiums, you know, in London was pretty good about you know when they had the Olympics. Yep. they were using you know West Ham's. I yep. went because I went to Upton Park. Oh my West goodness. Ham's old. Oh, okay. that was the first Premier League I ever went to. I saw your pal uh, Brad Friedel. Oh, nice! In Blackburn, play West Ham. Oh, he was at Blackburn. Blackburn at legend, time. yes. Yeah, and he that, amazing career. Oh yeah, great, good guy. He played till he was Midwest, eighty-seven. Midwest I think. Geist. Yeah, he could still be playing, <laughs> you know, secretly. But he's, he's coaching over in New England. Good guy. I worked with him uh, in television too. I work with a, I work with a lot of people in television that are that are you know, kind of just passing through and kind of using it as a way station. And I, I get it. Um, and, and, but, you know, I love what I do on television. I'm so fortunate to have found something that I love what I do. You and never wanted to coach. You were no, an administrator. No, I know no. you did that. I, I worked out, I was in front offices uh, for a bunch of different teams. I was a, a president and GM for a bunch of different teams. And, you know, I love television. Like I said, there's, there's people that, that are kind of just using it as a way station until something better comes along. And I think you can get away with that for a little bit, but I think ultimately it will manifest itself in, in your performance. And I think you're cheating, not just yourself, but you're cheating the viewer. And so I'm so happy when someone like Brad Friedel, who I knew wanted to coach, I'm so happy happy when he gets the opportunity to do ultimately what he really wants to do. So that Spurs thing, were they, uh, were they somebody poisoned them? Was that on purpose? <laughs> I'm not mean, putting it past a Liverpool fan. I mean, look, it's, uh, things happen. <laughs> was it Liverpool? Things, Might have been in Liverpool. Things happen. I'm sure there's somebody else there going, it's not what you're, <laughs> it wasn't, it's this. It it's wasn't, a, yeah. You'll be corrected, don't you worry. Yeah. They'll be corrected. But I mean, did you ever, I mean, were you ever hung over for a game? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, Pretty good. Uh, it was after the game that I had the okay, problems. Okay, there you go. Uh, yeah, no, I, I look as I mentioned before, I wasn't the f- the, the fleetest of foot, and so <laughs> Nobody I need all the help much. I can get. <laughs> so no, I wasn't. I, I wasn't doing stuff before the game. W- what's interesting is is that having played in for different teams and in different countries, the way that they treat and the level of responsibility that they and um, that they give their players. So, for example, over in, in the states, we never stayed in hotels unless we were on the road. Okay, if you're playing at home, you get up the day of the game, you do whatever you need it, and then you arrive at a certain point at the stadium, and they trust you to do that. In Italy, when I was playing, you always, even if it was a home game, stayed at a hotel. Now, some of it was just get you out of the house, they want you here, family, friends, and all that kind of stuff. But I played down in Ecuador for a little bit, and they kept us in barracks basically the entire week leading up to the game and i went to the coach i said come a on, week i can't i said come on what's going on here they call it concentration and uh it, it is you are in barracks for the whole week leading up maybe a game. bad use of the I word know, but it's, 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 it, it translates much better <laughs> yeah, okay. but they uh, it's a camp where you concentrate it's not <laughs> it is, it, 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 can we rephrase that but i asked him i said why are we doing this he said listen lex i know i could send you home and you'd be fine and all that kind of stuff i don't trust my players okay uh, and they didn't trust their players to just do what needed to be done in order to get ready for the game. So different cultures do it differently. <laughs> what was playing? Wow, Ecuador. That was you, nuts. That was brief, right? That was you, nuts. I played for this crazy radical owner who the first day I was there. Why? He, for, were you he, just yeah. training off season? No, I I, I got uh, I went down there on a uh, on a loan. So yeah, okay. it was the off season here, and so I was tra- playing down there. I'll never forget sitting in front of the owner, and he. The first thing he does is pull out a, pull out a a watch and give me a watch that had Che Guevara on it, okay. and then he goes through this entire communist socialist uh, type of rant for the next hour uh, in broken English, Spanish, or whatever that had nothing to do with soccer or anything <laughs> like that. 
And then we got on once again this little teeny little plane, and and you know we headed off to wherever we were going. And this guy was nuts. He was nuts. But once again, it was direct deposit. So uh, yeah. yeah, and they're letting you know. I think he just wanted to let you know you're in a different world now. Yes, and you this are is what to definitely expect. not in Detroit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Ecuador, man. Oh man, how many? How long have we done? Like three months? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was, oh, okay. it was a it was a quick trip, but it was nuts. It was also during El Nino, which is you know where it the rains rain. constantly, yeah. and it was the hottest place I have ever been in the streets. <laughs> were flooded and it was just i still haven't been i want to go to the galapagos though. oh yeah that would be cool i haven't yeah. been there you didn't go so, where you no there? we went i didn't well, you couldn't leave the barracks i couldn't, right? leave, yeah, I couldn't leave the concentration <laughs> uh so no run-ins with cops uh border patrol immigration ever? uh you know i get pulled aside every once in a while okay. i used to get pulled aside and all that kind of stuff but it's it's been uh, do you have to bribe a cop anywhere it's, uh I have never done it directly. I know things have been done in the past. Guy and, in the tour bus and, had to and, grease and some wheels. Yeah, people get stuff stolen out of them. We've had jerseys stolen out, and you know, because we're traveling, and you know, we're, we're billboards for U.S. coming rob us basically right yeah <laughs> and so uh, a lot of times we'll uh, we'll have that happen. But you know, it's look, we all have our. Do you, well, do you, do you, uh, and, and I have a. I, what was I thinking about when I knew I was going to come on this? What are your thoughts on flip flops? Uh, uh, well, as they say in Australia, thongs. Thongs. Um, you know, if you're on the beach, fine. I don't want you on the plane with them. Thank you. Thank you. That's disgusting. You. It's the mo- it, it, it And it makes no sense nuts. from a packing aspect because they take up no space in your bag. You should wear your biggest, clunkiest, heaviest shoes on the thing. And nobody wants to see your feet. I just think it's, Put on a hard it's disrespectful, I yes. think. I mean, I know we have gone the opposite way. When I was, when I was talking... Unless so your when name I is to, Gandhi. Right. When I was traveling <laughs> to Greece back in the 70s with my family, my mom, we would dress up. Yeah. We would wear our well, crosses now, and all that kind of stuff. It's a greyhound bus in the it's, sky. It's, and I get it. I know we've gone the opposite direction. But there's got to be... No, I don't want to see yeah. your feet... It, Flip flops are, are, and everyone's going to say, yeah, but for security and all that kind of stuff. Suck it up and yeah. put on a pair of shoes. At least a loafer if you don't want to you know, slip on and off. Wear cool a sock. Loafer, and, yeah. it's fine. If you don't want a sock, I'm, I'm okay with that. But yeah. cover up the shoes. Anti flip flop. God forbid you take them off uh, uh, on the plane. Awful. Especially now with everybody with a camera, you shouldn't be doing it anyway because you're going to get caught and you're going to get shamed. People putting their feet up on the, on the, on the seat in front of them or on the bulkhead. Ugh. Makes Awful. me so angry. Yeah. Makes me so angry. You know, you sit next to Johnny Flip Flops holding a chicken. Oh, God. It's, it's, it's the worst. Oh, the they've ch- taken a lot of fun out of flying. Oh. Not that it was ever really fun, but the, the glamour is way gone. It's go- I was reading an article the other day about some, uh, some uh, you know, bargain uh, thing over in Europe that wants to take out all the seats and just have them stand. Oh, that's got to be Ryanair. It's got to <laughs> be Ryanair. <laughs> what, what, strap hangers <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I mean, but in Italy, they must have, I mean, it was mostly bus, right? It was mostly bus. Yeah, it was mostly yeah. bus. And was your bus ever, like, bombed with, like, oh, yeah, thrown at it? Oh, yeah, That happens everywhere, you know, because it's, it's, you're sitting duck, so it's eggs and rocks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, <laughs> Did they ever, like, sneak really... into your hotel and try to harass you? So we've you? had all, all of that. So it's, uh, it, when you're traveling, you know that there's going to be uh, music at high decibel levels outside your hotel. <laughs> there's going to be... Um, the inevitable people in the lobby. Um, you're going to get the phone calls throughout the night. You're also going to have a fire alarm that's going to be pulled no matter what. And you just you just bank it into. That's just part of the deal. So, uh, I mean, do you, if you even if you know it's coming, it's still got to affect your play a little. It does, do. but you you just you you roll with it. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what uh, what players will will get accustomed to. So, do the uh, let's just say ladies of the evening know when the teams are in town and they it's hang not, out in the lobby like NBA level. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, which is notorious, but sure. yeah, I mean, and it depends where you go too. So some of them, 
uh, are just in general there. <laughs> so, right. And different cultures look at it differently. There's some hotels that say, "This is what this is what." You know, don't 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 say it loud because everybody will, will want this type of thing. And it's and there's others obviously that you know completely clear the uh, clear the hotels and lobbies and stuff like that. So Our, I know we, they've struggled to have a women's professional league. I mean, we have one, mm-hmm. and, but it's it's tough to get going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the secret of getting that going and is it bitter? It's got to be bigger leagues in Europe, right? I mean, no, no. I even w- our players are NWSL going NWSL that we have over here is still, I think, the number one league. As you said, other countries are catching up, and part of that is having women's professional uh, leagues over there. That, it's like England. They have a league, like Man yeah. City and Arsenal. They all have, they have women's Other sides. teams, you know, the Arsenal ladies and all that, all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's a huge part of the growth, and that's what's facilitated this, this incredible um, speed of growth that, that we've seen. Look, Ultimately, it's a business, okay? So I can't, you know, like Bonnie Raitt said, I can't make you love, love me if you don't, right? I mean, right. so I can't make you love soccer, and I can't make you, and if you love soccer, I can't make you love women's soccer. I, you know, I have had an incredible opportunity to work in both men's and women's soccer. I don't care if it's men's, women's, co-ed naked, it really doesn't matter. If people are kicking a ball, I'm going to talk about it and scream and yell and do all that. But, you know, when you, if you go and watch women's soccer, with this compare and contrast of men's soccer, you're not going to enjoy it as much. It is the same game, uh, the same rules and all that kind of stuff. At times, things are going to happen in the women's game that don't necessarily happen in the men's game. And by the way, things are going to happen in the men's game that don't, you know, it, it's, there's difference, dif- differences in things that happen. And you're, you're cheating yourself out of what I think can be a really great experience if you watch it just like uh, if you're watching it and comparing and contrast with the, with the men's game. But I know people are going to do that. So it's just a, it's, it's a labor of love. It's just going to happen year after year. And where, how far we've gone when it comes to women's sports in general and certainly women's soccer, both from a professional perspective and just in, in general, um, it's been wonderful. But like this summer, it'll help. A Women's World Cup always helps. We're going to put you on the spot with your predictions. Okay. Who's going to win the Women's World Cup? I think France will win the world's women's world cup. Wow. Okay. Who's going to win the Premier League? I think that Man City will uh figure it out here at the end. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, I think Liverpool has that look in their eyes where that's this false bravado that's uh that's out there. Ah, no worries. We've been leading the entire time and there's we couldn't possibly mess this up and now they start to see some some cracks and then there's some problems and then they don't have I think they're much they, they've gotten they're one of the best teams in the world. I just think they don't, they don't have that pedigree in history right now, which is why they need it so bad. I asked my, my Liverpool friend the other day, um, would you rather have the league title or Champions League? And it wasn't even a question, league title, because they have to get that monkey off of their back. And it's that been, monkey right now or is still or going, hey, guys, I'm yeah. still here. <laughs> <laughs> and they came so close exactly. before. And the slip and all that. So, so who's going to win the Champions League? Uh, that's that's a different. Uh, um, I'm calling Barcelona on this. Thing. I think Man City. You think they're going to take yeah, it? I think Man City will. Win. Yeah. My my second and would be a dark horse if you can be a dark horse would be Bayern Munich because I know this is not a good Bayern Munich team. This is one of the poorer. But they Bayern win Munich. tournaments. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just nuts. Like the Germans win so tournaments. It, it would not surprise me in the least if Bayern Munich, even in this where they're not even they're not even in first place in the Bundesliga this year, figure out a way to win it. Yeah. That's, it's a uh, crazy, it's a crazy sport. <laughs> it is. That's why we like it so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, tell people uh, where they can get your. Uh, you have a podcast of yourself. I do. Your own. I, uh, State of the Union podcast with uh, with myself, Alexi Lalas. You can find that on all the you know Stitcher and iTunes and uh, um, Spotify and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. That comes out every single week. We talk about soccer uh, from an American perspective. So it, it is world soccer, but it's through the lens of uh, of an American. Uh, 
uh, soccer player and ex-player, I guess it would be. Um, uh, you can catch me on Fox at all times when there is soccer, including this summer with the uh, Women's World Cup. You know, I do Major League Soccer. I do uh, the the women's team, the men's team, and all that. Um, and... Uh, you can catch me at an airport near you. What about your music? Uh, so I continue to do music. It's something that I've always done uh, my entire life, something that I love to do. I'll have another album out this summer for uh, my mom and the other two people. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you're, you're on, they can get you on yeah, Spotify. Spotify, and... iTunes, all that kind of stuff. Multiple albums over the years. It's straight ahead pop rock. Just put it in, put the windows down, drive really fast and crank it up type of stuff. So <laughs> that one, so... Are yeah. you a big social media guy? Do you? Yeah, oh, you can find me on Twitter at Alexi okay, Wallace yeah, get those, uh, yeah. and all that. And but on Twitter, Instagram, and all that kind of stuff. Twitter for me is is the easiest way to get a hold of me and yell at me. So, um, oh, I didn't ask you about getting back to the soccer one more time. Sure. Uh, our big rivalry for the U.S. for people who don't know is always Mexico. Yes, it is. And you've played in that gigantic Azteca Stadium. Mm-hmm. Give me one. Your most memorable story about playing in Mexico as an American for the U.S. team. So, uh, so Azteca Stadium is down in Mexico City, and it is uh, like high, this. High elevation, too. Yeah, al- uh, so back in the day, it's changed a little bit now, but it used to be, uh, number one, there's elevation that you have to deal with, uh, so altitude. Uh, number two, it's uh, the incredible smog that exists in Mexico City, even more so than Los Angeles, which we're where mm-hmm. we're recording right now. And number three, you're playing against a very good team in Mexico. The smog has changed a little bit; it's gotten a little better, bit better, but you're still dealing with a lot of stuff. I was and, just there for the first time in October. Oh, okay, yeah. So, I mean, Mexico City is really an interesting place. It's huge. Twenty-five it's million people. Nuts. It's nuts. Well, it, it's reflected in this stadium, which is a hundred thousand people. It used to be a hundred thousand people, and it's got this uh, thunderdome type of thing. <laughs> Tina Turner should be yeah, sitting right. in there, you know. <laughs> Two men enter, one man leave. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's what it is. I would never forget walking in the first time that I played it and walking up and not being able to see the blue of the sky, even though it was a day game, because it's just so high up these walls that that, that uh, come up. It, you know, it looks like the it looks like it's it's CGI processed because it's so high. You know, in uh, it's uh, like the what's Coliseum the Russell, Russell Crow one, yeah, like Gladiator. That. It just looked so big <laughs> and surrounding, and I never I'll never forget that. So. That was uh, that was always fun, and that's where a lot of the stuff. And that, when you're getting pelted with stuff, that comes from a a very high altitude. So it's got a lot of time to create some speed velocity <laughs> as it as it you know shatters around you, and the urine from the top oh, row God. all the way down is it's actually quite beautiful as it cascades down in this <laughs> incredible uh, shooting star like yellow tail and then. Oh. And splats all over. And we have like a horrible record there. Have we ever won there? Uh, we have won once in a friendly game, uh, and we have in a competitive game we have gotten a tie there. So it's not a great record, but we're not alone. I mean, it's it's a fortress. It's very difficult to oh, to man. beat Mexico there. Well, finally, all this um, travel you do and all the you've seen around the world. How has it changed you as a person? Mm-hmm. And how has it changed you? How maybe you look at yourself and America right. and people in general. So when I when I was whatever ten years old and and I would go out and kick the ball uh, in my uh, on my sidewalk in front of my house, one of the cool things that attracted me to the game of the soccer was I knew that on the other side of the world there was a ten year old boy that doing the exact same thing, and there's not a lot of things in life that have that thread, and so that always attracted it to me, and so to be able to travel through this game of soccer and as i mentioned earlier to see these different cultures and how soccer affects them but also to be you know we remind i have kids and we're constantly reminding them about how fortunate they are 
and how um, lucky and privileged at times they are for the things that they have, not the least of which is living in this country. And look, we know we have problems. And but but you want problems? Go travel the world, and you can see you can see incredible people in incredibly beautiful places. But you can also be exposed to the reality that. Maybe as a kid you were told about by your parents but didn't really understand. And when you come face-to-face with it and you realize how fortunate you are, it just makes you appreciate what you have uh, so much more. It doesn't mean you have to apologize for it. It doesn't mean you have to give it back. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to um, you know, be embarrassed about it. It's, it's just a reality of understanding how fortunate you are. And travel will do that to you. It will also expose you to wonderful people and things that you never thought you liked, whether it's, it's food uh, or different places that you've been to or you know, even the weather. We were joking about the weather and stuff like that. All of those different things you don't get without leaving the world. And, and you know, sometimes, especially as, as adults and certainly as parents, out of necessity and out of safety, we try to protect our, our, our kids and all that kind of stuff. And that's good. But we also have to at times recognize that they're going to benefit from knowing that this cocoon is only only lasts so long and sometimes that cocoon we we extend it out and so that cocoon was broken a long time ago for me and i, and I believe that i'm better for it and i hope uh, i hope that i'm better for it for having uh, those opportunities that i've had well when you look at your kids now i mean you grew up in michigan and your right. kids are growing up on the beach in southern california do it's, they even not, so do, they, do you fall into that and go you guys have no idea what cold is oh my god so some of my daughter and my son it starts raining <laughs> it starts raining here or something and they get all excited they want to go out if there's thunder it's it's it, <laughs> so they've romanticized weather and 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 snow they've romanticized we've gone skiing okay mm-hmm. that's not snow <laughs> right. snow is i was back in detroit a, a few days ago Oh. Snow is after three months. You have not seen the sun and that <laughs> that perma gray that exists. Where, That's that what affects, to wear on you. That affects you not just emotionally but physically. Oh, it, it, it affects you, and you can't. Uh, they can't understand that. They, you know, they run around and frolic. But when yeah. that snow is now turned brown and disgusting, and you've seen it every day, and it's slush, and your your hair is freezing in the car in the morning when you're going to school, and you're using the cassette case to scrape off the window yeah. and all that kind <laughs> the of stuff, case. it gets uh, it gets old. So I remind them uh, about that. Maybe I have to send them back to Michigan for a, yeah, a good four month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they wonder why we went yeah, ape shit over uh, spring break. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah and then it? there's that moment when it gets a little bit. Oh, warm and oh. all hell breaks loose and everybody comes out with this spring fever and they're running around in shorts even though there's still snow that was the ground. first i went to northern illinois university in dekalb and that's where like the first warm day of spring everybody was outside it was like we're oh. gonna get the barbecue i'm gonna wear shorts <laughs> it was crazy we're gonna get a frisbee we're gonna throw it out it was, yeah nobody went to class it was right it we was don't a know celebration Ah, these kids. Ah, uh, they don't know. These kids. Well, thanks for doing this. Oh, I know thank you. you. Thank you. It's this been, is a blast. It's been wonderful. I hope uh, people that tune in for uh, for travel haven't gotten bored about the, the, the with the soccer talk. Uh, but uh, I don't care. Okay, you don't care. <laughs> I don't care at this point because I've you know always wanted to meet you. And, oh, it's um, very cool. That's that was great. Cool. Well, thanks thank you for so doing much this. for having me, Alexi Lalas, everybody, and uh, look for him on TV at the World Cup this year, the Women's World Cup in France.